welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Bible Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Pastor Levi Secord, and I'd like to thank you for listening. Christ Bible Church exists to bring all of Christ into all of life, and in doing so, we glorify God. This podcast series is not meant to be a replacement for the local church. It is not meant to replace your regular gathering with Christ's people across Christ's earth. And so we encourage you to use these sermons to bring glory to God, to bring all of Christ into all of life, and to strengthen and encourage one another in his name. With all of that in mind, let us turn our hearts and our minds now to the preaching of God's word, and in it may we see and glorify and emulate our Savior. As we start uh, this journey through the book of Proverbs, we start with a simple question. What is wisdom? The Bible devotes at least significant portions, if not entirely all of it, of five books of the Bible to the idea of wisdom. We call this the wisdom literature. So clearly, God thinks it's important that you and I should be wise, that we should know what wisdom is. Many of the Psalms are wisdom Psalms. Then you have the entire book of Proverbs, the book of Job, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Those make up the heart of the wisdom literature. If you're looking into the New Testament, many people would qualify now James as a wisdom book as well. That would get us up to six. Why does God spend so much time in Scripture, so much real estate, on the concept of wisdom? And really diverse aspects of wisdom. If you really want to be wise, you need to understand not just Proverbs, but also Job and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Proverbs is very much a book about the world as it should be. The idea of reaping what is sown. Job and Ecclesiastes really deal with the world and focus in on its brokenness. What happens when everything goes wrong? What happens when the most righteous man on earth, Job, suffers? Song of Solomon is a book about the wonder and the perils of sexuality. This book, in particular, elicits a lot of different responses from conservative Christian commentators. Some feel the need to save God from the embarrassment of a book all about sex. And yet, God's not embarrassed. The book's there. It's not primarily in its details about Jesus. It's about what you think it's about. And God's okay with that. It was his idea. Many feel the same need to explain away the wisdom literature in its plain meaning in the book of Proverbs. For example, it was earlier this year, maybe late last year, I read an article that this author, he felt the need to explain away the traditional understanding of Proverbs 31. In case you want to know, Proverbs 31 is not actually about women and how women uh, can grow in wisdom. Proverbs 31 is actually just about wisdom personified. Why we feel the need to explain these things away I'm not entirely sure. The problems with this interpretation are numerous, but it starts with this. We get embarrassed with wisdom literature. I think one of the reasons why we get embarrassed with it is because it hits us right where we live. Like Sometimes we can teach the letters and we can teach these other books of the Bibles and they can feel safe and distant from us. But when Proverbs 31 says, hey, this is how women should live, well, that hits home. When the rest of the Proverbs says, hey, this is how young men should live, that hits home. And we have to learn to live in light of that. Still others, when they approach the wisdom literature, especially those who are in what is called the uh, 
Christ-centered preaching movement, of which I consider myself one of those. And they say the Proverbs isn't really about wisdom for this life. It's actually just about Jesus. Now, all of Scripture is about Jesus. Every verse, every page. But it can be about Jesus and also be about wise living in this life. Proverbs is like opening a treasure chest and in it you find the wisdom of Christ in it. So if Christ were going to sit down and tell you how do you live a wise life, well, he did that actually. It's the book of Proverbs. The wisdom in Proverbs is part of the store of wisdom that we find in Christ. To put it more plainly, if you reject Christ, you reject wisdom. If you reject Proverbs, you reject Christ. If you distort Proverbs, you are distorting Christ in what he has said. So that brings us back to the question, what is wisdom? What is it? The Hebrew word quite literally means skill. It means skill. In the wisdom literature, though, in general, what we're getting at with wisdom is the skill in the art of godly living. It's not just skill in general. Proverbs is a book written for you and me so that we could grow in the skill and the art of living godly lives. To put it another way, wisdom is not strictly pragmatic. It's not about what works. It's about living a godly life. And living a godly life, in general, works. And growing skillfully in doing that. Godliness, in this sense, is very pragmatic. If you, live, if you live a sinful life, if you sow those seeds, you will reap sinful and bad fruit. Wisdom is meant to restore us, to restore man in part to his pre-fall thinking, reasoning, and choosing. This book was given to the covenant people of God. And it was there, or it is here, to tell us how to live in this world. You have to understand the book of Proverbs in that context, within God's plan of salvation. So think about this. God made a covenant with Israel. And most of the commands he gives to the nation of Israel are either negative, don't do this. Don't lust, don't covet, don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't murder, or ceremonial. Offer these sacrifices when you do sin. There's not as much time spent in the book of the law giving positive instruction. This is how you then should live. This is how Proverbs enters into the equation. What does it look like for the man of God or the woman of God to live as a man or woman of God in the rest of life? Besides the covenant specifics. Proverbs. It describes the covenantal life of the believer. Proverbs is what it looks like to follow God, to follow Christ throughout the rest of your life. And these are, therefore, not optional. Like, maybe I need wisdom. Eh, maybe I'll get to the book of Proverbs. No, these are commands given to us. Consider these words from one commentator. He says this, The Old Testament presents God's redemption as restoring the damaged creature, man, to his proper functioning. Redemption is not strictly or limited to just saving souls. It is restoring the damaged creature, that is humanity, to his proper functioning. 
The book of Proverbs is all about that. God, through his covenant with Israel and then his covenant with Christ, he is restoring us to how we are supposed to live. This is part of God's plan of redemption. Not that you send a prayer, now you sit on your couch, wait for Jesus to come back. What you do in between doesn't really matter. No, you're saved, now live like you are saved. And so this series is titled, Wisdom for Everyone. And so is this message, because God offers wisdom to everyone. He wants you to grow in skillful, godly living until Christ returns. And if you grow in skillful, godly living, you will look more like your Savior, Jesus Christ. We do not need to apologize for that. We do not need to run from it. But rather, I think what is needed in the church today, in the world in general, is more wisdom, not less. It's bridging that gap between Christ came and died for your sins, and then what? And so throughout this series, we're going to have messages that will focus on wisdom for young men and young women, wisdom for men, wisdom for women, wisdom for children, wisdom for parents, wisdom for workers, and I'm forgetting a bunch of them. But we're going to zoom in here because God has wisdom offered to everyone. You just have to listen and then live it out. And today we're going to examine this offer for wisdom for everyone. Our first point today we find in verses 2 through 6. And it is a command to get and to seek wisdom. Listen again to these words. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Solomon tells us plainly here, this is the introduction, the, the thesis of the book. He intends to teach you and me wisdom and instruction, righteousness and justice and equity, prudence, knowledge, and discretion. This book is meant to equip you into all of those things. Much of what you will find in this book is what we could call common sense. And you should note, common sense is really uncommon, especially today. The offer and instruction is to get wisdom. That as you build your life, as you head out into this world, one of the chief things you should want is wisdom. You should seek it. In this age, you are instructed constantly to seek yourself. What's the good life? What would make my life good? Well, what would make me good is if I could look further within myself, find my most authentic and truest self, and if everyone would just accept me for that, then my life would be perfect. The early returns are in. It's a bunch of hogwash. It doesn't work. And we're going we're to dive deeper and deeper into that throughout this series. What you will find in Scripture is that the good life is found in the exact opposite direction. It means not seeking yourself first. It means laying down your life for something greater than yourself. This is how God has designed the world. If you seek yourself, you will lose yourself. If you die to yourself, you will find yourself. 
Later in Proverbs, Solomon explains the importance of seeking wisdom. Listen to this from chapter 4. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland and she will bestow a beautiful crown. If you want to be wise, one of the first things you need is to have a legitimate desire for it. Your heart should yearn to grow in skillful and godly living. And the prize you will receive is that wisdom will in turn honor you and will become like a crown placed upon your head. Wisdom bestows glory, success, and faithfulness. Therefore, why wouldn't you want it? Now, even there, I hesitate just a little bit because we should be careful. Success here is defined by God's standards, not the world. If you live out the book of Proverbs, you may end up like Job, losing everything materially, but you will still be blessed. God's definition of success is very different than ours. We also need to be careful here because all this talk about wisdom and knowledge and learning can sound like I'm telling you to go back to school that you should become a professor and get into an ivory tower and spend all of your time just thinking about thinking. The more I read books, the more I realize how little I know, and then that all these people know all these things about these very specific things, and I'm like, I just don't even care sometimes. I'm like, okay, yeah, that guy believed that. Great. But what about the farmer? What about the blue-collar worker? What about the high school dropout? Are they excluded from the pursuit of wisdom? The answer is no. There's certainly nothing wrong with education. There's nothing wrong with growing in knowledge. In fact, we should desire such things, but that education has to be done properly. One of my favorite uh, all-time quotes, and I've used this a lot and not always given given recognition to where it came from, but this morning, one of my all-time favorite quotes came from Elder Ardell Canaday. When he spoke at my old congregation, we invited him to come in and speak about transgenderism, and this was like six or eight years ago before it all really went crazy. He played a clip from some university professor defending transgenderism, and then he said these words. He said, you have to be really highly educated to be that stupid. (laughs) He's right. right. You have to be really highly educated to be as stupid as we are today. Wisdom is not about intellectual horsepower. It's not about how many degrees you can compile. To be clear, the Bible is not anti-intellectual, but it is certainly anti the fake intellectualism of our day. I would take a farmer, a mechanic, a factory worker over a gender studies PhD every day of the week and twice on Sunday because they are more wise. You don't have to be smart to be wise. In fact, Solomon here is offering wisdom, he says, to the simple, to the youth, to those who don't know very much yet. I can help you grow in wisdom. Moreover, wisdom and knowledge are moral categories. It's not just skillful living, it's skillful, godly living. If you are living an ungodly life, no matter how shrewd you are or how clever you are, you are not wise. At least not according to the biblical category. 
And so this book kicks off with this command. Seek wisdom. Seek it and you will be blessed. It will greatly benefit you. If this is so, the question becomes, why then is it so rare? If wisdom is so beneficial, why do we not all seek it? The answer is found in the second half of verse 7. Our second point. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the second point. Wisdom is not found within. This point is implied throughout the passage and really throughout the entire book. If you need to seek wisdom, if you need to receive instruction and teaching, it's primarily telling you that if you want to find wisdom, you have to look outside of yourself. You can't look within. But even this can be tricky as we go throughout the book. You'll also see that there are many competing voices outside of yourself who would say, come with me. The wicked will say, come with me and do this and this. And Solomon says, yeah, don't follow them either. But the baseline of being a fool, of being or living a life of folly, is someone who thinks he knows everything. A fool re- rejects instruction. A fool rejects being taught. A fool thinks he or she knows absolutely everything and could never be wrong. And that is the chief lie of our day. Everything, we are told, can be found within. You must find that truest self if you want to succeed. Charles Taylor, in his uh, massive book, A Secular Age, explains this thinking. He's like, this summarizes the thinking of living in a secular age. Quote, the power to reach fullness is within. Is that not our day? you see it in the signs in the public school rooms. A little inspirational sayings. You'll hear it on, on cartoons for children. You'll hear it in just about every song. When somebody questions uh, someone as to what they're doing, they'll, they'll, they'll appeal to themselves. This is the false gospel of our day. And the reason why it's so dangerous is it's appealing. I mean, who doesn't want to be the authority on everything? Like, who doesn't want to say, oh yeah, I'm my own God. I make my own rules. And Proverbs starts right here and says, if you are that person, you are an utter idiot. And I'm okay saying that. I'll say it again. You're an idiot. Like, we have a bunch of idiots running around with college degrees. You're a fool. This is the heart of our confusion, our anxiety, our depression, and our chaos. Taylor explains what life used to be like when we lived in a non-secular age. He says, quote, Meaning exists outside of us, prior to contact. It can take us over, and we can fall into its field of force. It comes from the outside. You want to see the difference between before secularism, after secularism, but when you cut God off, all meaning has to come from within. And now, instead of you conforming to reality, you think you have to make reality conform to you. And so you end up with transgenderism. My feelings determine what I truly am, not my body. Reality must conform to me. You're a fool. This is not how the world works. Does meaning exist outside of it, us, or do we create it? Does truth exist outside of us, or do we create it? Does reality 
exist or do we create it? Are we the creator or is God the creator? This is the malady of our time. And it's summarized very well by our very intelligent Lieutenant Governor of Minnesota, Peggy Flanagan. Regarding transgenderism, she said this, When our children tell us who they are, it is our job as grown-ups to listen and believe them. That's what it means to be a good parent. Let me rephrase that. That's what it means to be an idiot. <laughs> My child can come to me and say, I'm a sparkly unicorn. If I say, yes, you are, I'm an idiot. And my kid is doomed. Reality itself cannot bend to my feelings, my opinions, or my wishes. Reality is a stubborn thing. And raging against it is the epitome of foolishness. This worldview, the turn within to look for everything, is utterly, utterly and completely incompatible with the Christian faith. It is wicked, it is sinful, it is foolish. And here's the thing, recognizing that wisdom is not found within, that youth are not smarter than their parents, used to be commonplace. We didn't have to have these conversations that long ago. I'm gonna do something I don't normally do, but uh, we live in strange times. Here's a quote from Ben Shapiro on Oliver Anthony's use of the book of Proverbs on the Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> right? Strange. I don't normally do this. In fact, I don't normally listen to most of those podcasts, but this popped up this week in my feed, and I'm like, oh, they're talking about Proverbs. I'm preaching on Proverbs. Let me listen to this. This is what Shapiro says. He's Jewish, not a Christian, but I think he gets this mostly right. He says, the book of Proverbs is a kind of an old book, and it's familiar to many of us. These used to be the kind of sen sentences that pretty much everybody in America had at the tip of their tongue. The Bible was the text that everybody used for literally centuries. And now if you speak to a regular person on the street and you quote the Bible, they don't know a thing about it. And that's a real problem. The Bible does carry with it a set of values it is not just a bunch of vague standards that are in, unimplementable in our daily life. The basic notion that the, moral, or that the morality of the Bible is available to everyone and that it's actually fairly understandable and fairly clear and that it provides a basic guide to life. This was the thing that fell away in favor for the notion that you can divine or define your own value system. He goes on to talk about how commonplace this was and now we just look within. He was right. Like Joe Rogan hears this quote from Proverbs uh, chapter 4, I believe, and he's blown away by how profound it is. A couple generations ago, everyone would have known that. They could have recited it with each other. But now, we are fools through and through. Not only do we not know the, the book of Proverbs, but we believe the exact opposite of it. Our next point, our third point. Wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Let me restate the problem with another quote. This one from Francis Schaeffer. He says, man's finiteness is his smallness. 
he is not a sufficient reference point to himself. Man's finiteness is his smallness. He is not a sufficient reference point to himself or for himself. You and I are small. We are finite. You and I are not eternal. We are not great enough. We are not strong enough. We are not smart enough to be the foundation in the center of our own lives, let alone the center and the foundation of reality, truth, and meaning. This is what Schaefer was driving at. You are too small and a passing creature to determine what is real. Literally, you and I will die one day, and after you are put into the ground, everyone will head back inside, and in 15 minutes they'll be eating potato salad. And the world will keep spinning. Contrary to pop culture, you're not a big deal. The world will get on fine without you, without me. Your family will miss you. If you're lucky, your grandkids will remember you. If you're very lucky, your great-grandkids will remember you. But if all the meaning in life you get is what you create, all of it dies with you while they're eating potato salad. The good news of the gospel is at least in part this. The call to live in light of God is that it frees you from this impossible burden that you need to determine everything. You're a creature. You're not the creator. Stop acting like it. Be free from trying to live that way. That I need to define myself. That I need to define what is real and what is true. God does that. You're not God. You can't. Be free from it. It's literally driving people nuts today, trying to figure it all out. And so this is where Proverbs begins, where you find wisdom, the first half of verse 7. You find it outside of yourself in the God who is there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom and knowledge begin with fearing the Lord. To not fear the Lord is to be a fool. And we're surrounded by fools. God is infinite. He is eternal. He is all-powerful. He is holy. He is all-knowing. His righteousness is immovable. His power is like the mighty mountains. His faithfulness stretches out like the skies. What do you got? He's the beginning and the end. The fountain of life and truth and meaning and salvation. He is the only foundation to build your life upon. If we reject God, we reject wisdom. I don't care how smart you are in your field, again, how many degrees you have, if you reject God, you reject wisdom. If we build our lives upon ourselves, we end where we are today. What Schaefer called and what he predicted, he labeled it the theater of the absurd. That you're living in an age where the absurd is put on display. The theater of the absurd. Nothing has meaning, so everything goes crazy. Like, I think that's, we should all just start saying that. We live in the theater of the absurd. Like, turn on your TV, turn on social media. Absurd. It's absurdity everywhere. It's like God himself is running a reductio ad absurdum on us. Saying, oh, you, you, you think that? Okay, let's see where that takes you. See how crazy this is getting? 
I've had this conversation with several people this week. Often people in life, they, they hit rock bottom. They come to the, to the very sad consequences of their really bad decisions. And they have one of two ways they can go. They either kill themselves or they turn to God. Speaking of Oliver Anthony, it seems like he turned to God. He, he reached his end and he said, it's this or nothing. As a society, that's where we're at right now. We're at, the, we're at the bottom. At least I hope we're at the bottom. If we're not at the bottom, we're close. God has us here for a, a, a specific purpose. We can either turn further into death or we can return to God. Those are the only options. The Bible commands us to not lean on our own understanding. Our own knowledge must first rest upon that God exists and that he has spoken. If you study modern philosophy at all, you realize that what they're saying is if there is no God and you have to create your own meaning, what they're really saying is there is no meaning. Life is absurd. Those are the options before us. Either life is absurd, means nothing, or there is a God. And people don't want to admit there's a God because then they have to live like there is a God. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, you should note that what is used here is not some general name for God, but it is his personal covenantal name, Yahweh, Jehovah, depending on your translation. Fear Jehovah. Fear Yahweh, the God of Scripture. To fear the Lord means at least this much. It means to be in a right relationship with him. To be in covenant with him. But there's more than that. Proverbs later on defines for us what it means to fear the Lord. Chapter 8, verse 13 says this. The fear of the Lord is being really nice. No. The fear of the Lord is going to church on Sunday. No. The fear of the Lord is being really accepting. No. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. It doesn't fit well within our mushy evangelicalism, but we have ceased to be able to speak of the virtue of hate. That in a fallen world, there are times where you must hate. The Lord hates evil. He is holy, and we are called to be like him, to hate evil as he does. But the Lord is also gracious and merciful and forgiving, so we must remember that. And hating evil starts here, not with hating someone else's evil, but hating your own sin first. That is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is inseparable from God, and it is therefore inseparable from morality. The wicked man cannot be wise. God wants us to live in wisdom, and that wisdom is a good gift he has given to us. This is part of his plan of redemption, his renewal of all things in Christ. I alluded to this earlier, but Colossians 2, verses 2 through 3, tell us something about Christ in wisdom. Listen to these words. To reach all the riches of the fullness of understanding in the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures 
of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden, are stored for you all knowledge and wisdom. And Paul then goes on in Colossians 2 to explain how you shouldn't be taken captive by false belief systems. If you know Christ, you will know wisdom. If you know the book of Proverbs rightly, you will know Christ. To put it plainly, I can, from these pages, and in fact, I intend to, tell you how to live a good and happy and successful life. From the pages of Proverbs, I can tell you how to live a good and happy and successful life. Not because of the wisdom of Levi, but because God has spoken. The concepts of Proverbs are incredibly easy. Intellectually. They're hard to live out. But it starts with a basic humility. A bending of the knee to say, I am not the source of wisdom. God is. Part of God's redemption is restoring us and creation to how it is supposed to be. And wisdom cannot be separated from that. The reason many of our people and our churches and our ministries act like fools is because they don't begin with the fear of the Lord and they don't begin with the hatred of evil and the fullness of Christ in whom we have all the treasures of wisdom. The question for us at the outset here is, will you, will I, will we humble ourselves? Will we begin in that spot? God has written a book for us. He's preserved it through centuries. He says, here, you want to live a good life? Here's the book. The only question that remains is, will you listen to him or not? Not if it's sufficient. Not if there's enough wisdom in there for modern life. There is. But will you listen? Will you fear the Lord? Will you follow Christ or will you follow something else? You are not a sufficient foundation to build your life upon. But Jesus Christ is. So my prayer as your pastor, the prayer of our elders, is that Christ, he would be our wisdom, he would be our vision throughout all of life. And I do hope you guys keep coming back. You keep coming back every Sunday, so the odds are looking good. Because we're going to unpack this for just about all of us. What does it mean for me to be a wise man or a wise woman? A wise child or a wise parent? A wise husband or a wise spouse or wife? What does it look like? Well, God has told us. Will we listen? Is the only remaining question. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have spoken to us in your word. Lord, I pray that you would increase in the hearts, in the minds, in the lives of the people sitting here this morning, a fear of the Lord. A not turning within, but a turning outside of ourselves to Him. That our fear of the Lord would manifest in a hatred of our own sin and a running to Christ in faith. Lord, we thank You that in Christ You have stored all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge for us. May we receive it gladly. And may it transform how we think, how we feel, how we choose, and how we live. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.